HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Visit a farm. Log on to escapemaker.com for more ideas on local weekend getaways and day trips to orchards, farms, wineries, breweries, and more. Get out of the city and explore while also supporting your local farmers. Log on to escapemaker.com now to get inspired and make your escape through the net. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. All right. Thank you so much. Once again, you have tuned in to the Heritage Radio Network. We, of course, are coming coming to you from the back of Roberta's Pizza here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You are listening to The Farm Report. I am your host, Erin Fairbanks. And we are joined in the studio by some folks all the way up from, is it Katawa? Did I say that right? Katawa. 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 It sounds nicer when you say it. Katawa, Kentucky. Uh, Ronnie and Beth Drennan of Broadbent Hams. Welcome to the studio. Thank, Thank you. you. It's great to have you guys here. Katawa. All right. Now I know. <laughs> um, so we obviously, as you guys might have guessed uh, from the name, we're going to be talking uh, hams today. Um, now, Broadbent Hams in 2009 celebrated its 100th year, is that right? Producing hams and sausages and bacons. Um, but you guys became full owners of the operation in 1999? Yes, ma'am. So had you been working with the group before, or how, how did that happen? Uh, no, we uh, we made furniture for a living at that point. What? <laughs> and you were just like, hmm, what else could we do, babe? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the guy that was the broker for selling the business was a good friend of ours, and mm-hmm. he ca- he came to me and told me I needed to look at this. So you went from being a furniture maker to a ham maker. Yes, ma'am. So how does one kind of step into the like reins of a organization that at that point was going ninety years of ham making? Uh, what was your education look like? Fast, fast, I guess. <laughs> well, I was raised on a dairy farm. My dad cured hams when I was a kid, uh, and so when we bought the business, uh, we we continued to have some of his. Uh, farm hands that helped us cure the hams uh, for the first few years. All right, so you had some. You wasn't. You weren't coming at it f- 
from totally out of left field. No. You had some experience. So what um, what's kind of the infrastructure of a country ham business? You know, if we're looking at, um, you know, curing space and office space, like what are the kind of key pieces of, um, you know, buildings, of places? What are the things you need if I wanted to, like, build one today? Which I don't. Don't worry. No competition here. Well, it would depend upon how you wanted to do it. You know, mm-hmm. there are some country ham people that, uh, do it ambient temperature, which you take a risk. Uh, Especially uh, in this day and age. Yes. Uh, you know, our cure room, we keep between uh, right around 40 degrees year-round. Uh, then when I, after I take it out of cure, I have a room, uh, equalization room, that I have about 50 degrees, 45 to 50 degrees, and I'll take my ham's after they come out of the cure to that room for about three weeks and then i'll move them to the aging room which we keep anywhere from 70 to 80 degrees year round and they will just age and age and then we will smoke them and put them back in the aging room so a ham operation sounds like a uh, operation of many rooms. <laughs> You're moving something from room, one room to the next room to the next room after for, for uh, differences in temperature for different amounts of times. And then it seems like... Um, w- so when it's in the, like a cure room, it, it, like in my head I'm imagining like I walk into the cure room and I'm seeing kind of stacks of ham covered in salt. Yes, ma'am. And then the ambient temperature room is the stacks of ham that have had that salt brushed off of them? Or Ambient temperature would be a room that would be, you would hold, if they were doing it... uh, Oh, I'm sorry, not the ambient temperature, the the 50 degrees, when I go from the 40 degree curing room to the 50 degree holding room. Or what do you call it, equalizing room? Equalization. Equalization. At that point, we have washed the salt off and put them in stock. With water? With water. Okay and put them in stockinettes and we hang them on racks where they don't touch each other okay so they hang on there and then we move them racks around with a pallet jack with a pallet jack and so then they go from that room into an aging room yes ma'am so how do you know they're ready to get um aged of course they've been through our salt process for 38 to 42 days Uh, they've been through the equalization room for 21 days so they're ready to go to the aging room and in the aging room are they hanging then or are they going back to like a a stack they're hanging they're hanging and then they go from that room into the smoke the smoker and then they come back to the aging room so why do they need to cure then hang then age then smoke why not smoke sooner in the process uh you could, you could smoke right out of equalization, uh-huh. but the hams are a little wetter at that point, mm-hmm. and sometimes they tend to mold worse. Mm-hmm. So I just let them dry a little dry bit, out. a little more before I smoke them. And then they go into the smoker, and then they come back out and they'll age again. So the minimum age for a country ham that you guys are producing is six months. Six months. And is there a maximum? Uh, we have some that we've cured for shelves for a year and a half. 
what happens like beyond that? Is there like is there a reason that like after that like you're in a half point? Other than that, you're basically like putting you know your inventory, aka all of your kind of like money, on a shelf for a year and a half already, which is a push. Um, is there something that happens to the product if you like let's say forget about out for forget about it for another six months? Well, it gets a lot drier. Uh, and it depends upon the size of the ham. Some hams could hang there up to two years and be all right, and some couldn't because of the size. It would get so dry that it would be more like uh, a salt lick than a ham. But it would just be it would be strong. There's you know you could eat it still, but right. it would be. And some people would really like it, but it loses a lot more weight. So when you stepped into your current role when you guys took over the organization and the the business um have you over the last um well how many years and i'm like trying to do the math in my head it's 2016 you took over in 1997 years have you um you've really been stewards of the curing operation or has that uh evolved and and changed in any way uh of course, the, we kept the same recipes when we bought the business. It, uh, we uh, had ham, and we had uh, bacon and s- sausage. Mm-hmm. And we've added some different... We did all our smoking with hickory wood. We smoked some of our bacon with apple and maple. Uh, and we've made a couple of different... Uh, a hotter sausage and a milder sausage. You're going to the extreme. <laughs> We're like, we, and the Americans are now like, we want a hotter and we want a milder. <laughs> Finding the middle way. Well, so I, I, you know, I've been familiar with your your hand product from a kind of culinary standpoint for years. I mean, you guys have definitely been one of the kind of flagship operations for uh, that kind of. American country ham in the U.S., but I feel like we've gotten to know um, a little bit more about you in the last nine months, um, ever since the fire at the Edward, Edward as Wallace's um, and Sons. Um, you know, Sam Edwards and his family have been like longtime supporters of the radio network. Um, suffered a catastrophic fire in January of this year. Um, and, and one of the reasons I wanted to kind of go through some of the infrastructure is just to kind of set that up that they're, they're enti- they lost everything. They lost the curing room, the uh, you know equalizing room, the smokehouse, um, you know, a third generation business, you know, kind of in an afternoon disappeared. And um, it was really a, a sad day for us at the network and, and also obviously for Sam and his family down in Virginia. But one of the things that I think has been so fascinating about kind of uh, the aftermath of that is how the uh, culinary industry, both kind of chefs and uh, consumers, and then also producers like yourself have stepped in to kind of play a role in that business. Because there's not a lot of really great country ham makers in this country anymore, is there? There's a lot of... There's a lot of country ham companies out there. Sure. Uh, Some of them are pretty large, and uh, they don't want to cure as long as we do. Uh, And uh, but there's compared to other businesses, no, there's not a lot of country ham companies in this country. Well, I think also too, just like you know, it used to be a thing that uh, I think every you know 
farm had a, a little, you know, cure room and smokehouse in the middle of their operation. And, and as agriculture has consolidated, you know, you lose some of those other traditions, too, where folks might do it on their own or now, you know, buying, buying out that ham. Um, so is there like a kind of annual secret meeting of country ham makers? I mean, how in touch are you guys? Like, how do you kind of talk about, you know, things that are impacting you as ham curers kind of industry wide? I mean, we have talked in the past on this program about the role um, with with Sam, about the role that the USDA and other kind of regulatory environments uh, and the pressures that puts on the business. Um, is, do you guys have like a country ham curious association or is it a more informal network or, um, you know, how do you kind of communicate and build community as producers and also competitors, frankly? Well, we have a Kentucky country ham producers association and we also have a national country ham association. Uh, you know, the Kentucky one is, uh, you know, all the, most of the country ham producers in the state of Kentucky that uh, uh, attend these meetings, you know, we consider them a dear friend. You know, if they mm-hmm. if they need something, they don't care to call, or if I need something, uh, you know, they'll call me. You know, it. Uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, we are competitors, but I think we're friends first. So, when you heard about the fire at Edwards, what was kind of the the chatter on the kind of telephone lines? Oh, you know, it was a, it was sad because that could happen to any of us at any time, you know. And we've known Sam for probably 15, 16 years, you know, and he's a great guy. And, you know, you you wouldn't wish that on anybody. And, uh, you know, everybody wanted to do, you know, what they could to help him. If there was something, you know, we could do to help Sam, you know, everybody in the business was, you know, willing to do that. Looking to find a space. Did that mean any changes for you guys? Uh, no, uh, you know, it worked out that, you know, I guess, you know, I, Sam, there were some lot bigger companies that had more space and than, mm-hmm. than all than we did. Right. So, um, just more like thinking about your kind of operation and, uh, were there like things that you re-looked at with regards to safety protocols or, uh, insurance or like, you know, th- I feel like that's like one of those things, like, you know, you kind of go into a lot of those discussions as a business and you're like, yeah, you know, I think we're covered. But then when something really happens or even just like on a personal level, like you think you're good and then you get in a car accident and you're like, well, shit, I checked the wrong box or I thought I was covered and I wasn't. And, you know, but when you deal with insurance, a lot of times you find out what you think you're covered for. You're not. Uh, but we did have a talk with our insurance, uh, you know, company our agent after after Sam's far. Yeah, and check in on that. Well, one of the other things that I think, um, you know, I, we've seen a lot of leadership coming out of the Edwards operation was starting to develop uh, a line of looking at kind of, uh, you know, rare breed cured hams. And, and I'm wondering when you think about kind of sustainability and sourcing, it's challenging as a small producer um, to have access to just the hams of an animal. Like when you're thinking about where you're getting your raw ingredients from, um, how has your thinking in that space evolved? Well, we had thought about doing some rare breeds, but, uh, the part of the country we lived in, the, the there was nobody there that was raising them, no uh, outlet. Uh, 
And it was odd that just about a year ago this time in September, Patrick called us. I don't know how, where we came in connection, where right. he got our name, but Patrick called and wanted to know if I would be interested in some of these hams. And so we bought some in, in October last year. <coughs> and it's just ironic, you know, before Sam had the, the fire, you know, so. Uh, kind of experimenting with it a little bit. Well, um, so yeah, full disclosure for folks, um, you guys have been working with Heritage Foods USA um, and Patrick Martins, who's the founder of Heritage Foods, but also Heritage Radio. I'm curious, you know, because your hams take at a minimum six months to be ready, um, have you had a ch- you ha- you have had a chance at this point to taste taste the difference or do some comparison? I'm wondering if you notice anything about the the uh, heritage breeds or rare breeds that is different from the other hams that you're working with. The heritage breed, it's a it has a a little more more fat on it. It stays moisture longer. Uh, you know, if you're eating it prosciutto style, it, it's uh, still a little wet. It needs to be aged a little longer because it's not as quite as lean as your more commodity hams that yeah. you buy. But uh, we fried some, and it was it was great. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but did it did it look different in the pan? No, not a lot. Not a lot. Uh, but it was really good. But you could good. taste the difference. <laughs> Patrick really would probably say we ruined it because we fried it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you should eat it how you want to eat it, you know, and the product should kind of stand up to to that space. You know, it's a funny thing about kind of the heritage breeds. It's like when you're looking at food production, there's like kind of everything working against them, right? Like there's less of them out there, so they're more expensive to get. They take a little bit longer to come up to size. And then so it sounds like it's kind of similar on the production side where, again, they're going to be more expensive than commodity hams. Because they're wetter, they're going to take longer to age. They're going to behave differently. That essentially require you to have a whole in a separate scenario to support that type of a project. We have to keep them separated from the rest of our hams. But then are you able to turn around and charge a premium because that is a, a, it's a different product. Customers are going to want that for a different reason. We, uh, Hopefully. That's true, yes. <laughs> our first hams are just coming. They, they will be a year old in, uh, in October. So we're just now starting to try to sell them. In fact, just in time for the holiday season. Patrick has been <laughs> the first to buy some. Uh, so we will, you know see how they go well well i i'm excited i think it's like a wonderful uh, opportunity to kind of start telling that story to a new audience but i also want to really say like how much uh you know i admire and understand too the the difference it makes in in your operation and like i think that is like a really kind of a microcosm of stories in agriculture that these things that are special or different um they cost more because they're they, because they require more time, more effort, more attention, and hopefully all of that time, effort, and attention and those genetics are being reflected kind of on the plate, right? Because it doesn't taste better than like it's hard to make it. It's hard to make a culinary argument for it. You're making more of an, a, a kind of environmental or breed diversity argument for right. it. So you guys are up here in New York City. It's you know definitely not your first time. 
um, you know, you are on the, the like tables of some of the best restaurants in the city. Uh, I'm wondering kind of, you know, what, what do you guys look forward to when you're coming up to New York or what do you go back, uh, from trips up to New York telling your, you know, your friends about, well, coming from a town of 400, when you come to New York, you're sort of lost. <laughs> well, my hometown is 2,000 people, so I'm I'm like I'm with you in the like shift there. Um, any anything on the agenda for this trip that you're excited about? Well, of course, we're having the thing tonight at uh, the Brooklyn Kitchen. And I don't really know what all Patrick has planned for. <laughs> so you're putting here. us in. You're putting us in. Well, I would say you're in in good hands. Um, should probably can anticipate doing a lot of meeting and greeting and eating. <laughs> well, I can eat. That's one thing. I can. <laughs> um, now down in. Now I'm already forgetting how to say it. Katawa. 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 I wanna. I wanna tighten it up katawa um you, you know we have talked a little bit about kind of the country hams it's like traditional to uh fry them up and you said coke or coffee or water um what are some of the other kind of regional dishes that folks should be kind of thinking about or uses for the hams when if folks want to go check out your website and get some to taste oh i don't know <laughs> wait like we said, we're going to eat them uh, every meal of the day. Um, you can eat them for breakfast, fried in the skillet. Uh, we'll eat them the same way for lunch or mm-hmm. grill them. Um, we cook them on a grill, the thinner sliced steaks, really good on the grill, and make a great sandwich. A sandwich, you know? yeah. Uh-huh. So, And then, yeah, you'll put them for a, for a main course for your main meal. You know, we'll put them with, with beans and... And uh, vegetables and that kind of thing, and serve them in that manner for supper. So you'll, or so you'll eat them all three meals of the day. Oh, brother! Yeah. <laughs> then we'll take the ham hock and put it in beans or greens or cook it overnight. Uh-huh. Have it on the side. Have it on the center of the plate, the side of the plate. That's exactly wherever right. you can put it. Spoken like a true ham salesman. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, Ronnie, Beth, thank you so much. It's been a real treat to get to learn a little bit more about your operation. And I am really excited when October comes around to try some of that, uh, you know, heritage breed uh, country ham. So, uh, folks, you can find out more about them. You can get your holiday orders squared away right now. Um, You can visit them at www.broadbentshams.com or check out heritagefoodsusa.com to get a sneak peek at the special uh, heritage breed country hams. Either way, Let's make this holiday season a hammy one. (laughs) Uh, Hang tight. We're going to be back in just a second with the Escape Maker segment. uh, So stay tuned for that. Visit a farm. Log on to EscapeMaker.com for more ideas on local weekend getaways and day trips to orchards, farms, wineries, breweries, and more. Or come by Escape Maker's Blue Tent and Grow NYC's Green Markets and pick up a guide to local agritourism escapes to the Green Market's own farmers and producers. Have you listened to On the Road with Beer Sessions Radio? Escape Maker has teamed up with Heritage Radio to design a vacation package that provides a first-hand experience of the local flavors from some of New York's best craft beverage producers. Listen in and book your trip at escapemaker.com slash heritageradio. 
No car? No problem. Escape Maker features plenty of ideas for car-free getaways, including discounts via Amtrak. Get out of the city and explore, while also supporting your local farmers. Log on to EscapeMaker.com now to get inspired and make your escape through the net. All right, we are back. And of course, you know what time it is. Time for the Escape Maker segment. And today we're taking a trip up to Corning, New York. We are on the line with Matt Bowers of Four Fights Distillery. Matt, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. So I have to start um, by hearing the story um, of your name, uh, Four Fights Distillery. I love this. Yeah, uh, the name actually comes from the old moonshiner's gauge of strength of the spirits. Uh, depending on how strong the spirits were on a level of one to four, uh, it was how many fights you were going to get into per pint that you drank. <laughs> so are you making uh, level one, two, three, or four strength spirits? <laughs> level four, which is why we named our facility four fights. <laughs> Um, so tell us, you guys are producing uh, vodka and then moonshine, and then there was something called cinnamon. So I'm guessing that's like a cinnamon kind of flavored moonshine. Is that right? Uh, it is. We started with our vodka, uh, which is uh, primarily corn-based with some cane sugar, our uh, moonshine, which is a 80% corn and malted barley mix. And the cinnamon is 100% corn whiskey, naturally infused with cinnamon. We do have uh, a new product, Apple Pie Moonshine, coming out shortly, as well as our first bourbon release. Oh, wow. So you guys are kind of diversifying. Well, I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, how you landed on moonshine production. Was that, is there like a history in the region there, or was that a personal passion? Like, how did you get into distilling that? Uh, moonshine we went with because it's, it really truly is the American spirit. I'm officially bourbon by the federal government has been named the, the true American spirit. But everything comes back to moonshining with the prohibition days and also immigration and things like that. We wanted to make sure that we honored our heritage as distillers and Americans and incorporate that into our product line. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So how did you, I mean, have you always been interested in distilling? How did you get into it? Uh, well, my wife was started by making wine at home and uh, doing that with her friends, and I would help out and things like that. But I had the opportunity to go to Kentucky and visit a few different distilleries down there and really fell in love with the process. So I just uh, slowly started researching it and decided to take a leap of faith and open a distillery. <laughs> so everyone out there who has a spouse or partner who is casually brewing wine in their home, beware one day you could be the you know other half of a moonshine distillery with a name like Four Fights. <laughs> um, so I think you know for myself and for folks who are not kind of cocktail professionals, my first question when it comes to moonshine in particular is, what do I do with it? How do I drink it? What's the best way to enjoy it? Okay, for the straight moonshine, uh, what we typically recommend. And it depends on the time of year and also your preferences, but it mixes really well with uh, apple cider for just a really natural-tasting drink in the fall. Uh, also, it makes great whiskey sours in place of 
uh, traditional barrel-aged whiskey. It allows the citrus flavors to really shine rather than having uh, so much heavy oak come through, as well as um, just mixing in any other cocktail that you would use bourbon in, like a um, mint julep or things like that. So you can sub sub out your bourbon. Sub out your bourbon for some moonshine. Um, Well, so you are from uh, Corning, New York originally, is that right? Yes. Tell us a little bit um, about the area. Um, Why should folks come by for a visit aside from, you know, a chance to drink some delicious uh, vodka and moonshine and soon (laughs) soon to be bourbon? Yes. Uh, Corning, New York is actually the home of Corning Incorporated, the glassmaker. The town is steeped in history. We're right next door to Watkins Glen, uh, which hosts Watkins Glen International Raceway and also all the Finger Lakes. We have a ton of wineries up here, and we're sprouting distilleries and breweries everywhere as well. Second to uh, Sonoma Valley in California, our wine industry is this huge out here. Wow. So we really have a, a lot to offer in the viticulture, brewing and distilling, as well as a lot of locally produced foods and uh, farm fresh ingredients. So kind of like a jack of all trades, like a, a like a boozy tour of of the New York of the New York region. So folks can actually come by and and visit you and, and check out the tasting room. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the space? Uh, yeah, we're a smaller operation. We're family owned and operated. Our distillery is only a total of about thirty three hundred square foot, and two thousand of that being the actual production facility itself. Uh, about 1,300 square feet up front, we have a full tasting bar. We have our Mule Club members that come in regularly. They have their own copper mugs that are stored up on the ceiling. We are able to serve full cocktails at this time because we are operating under a Class D farm distiller's license. So we uh, are able to host lots of nice events and uh, really tailor our product line to the seasons. Nice. Um, you mentioned the farm distiller's license. Um, how did you kind of hear about that? Was And then was that like instrumental in deciding how you wanted to brew and, and or start, how you wanted to distill and what you wanted to distill? Yeah, the farm distiller's license was huge for us because it, it's a much uh, more economical entry point into the world of distilling. To go to a, a normal traditional commercial license is upwards towards a quarter of a million dollars for the license itself. Wow. Uh the farm distiller's license also really uh, reached out to us because it, it forces the distiller to use at least 75% of their ingredients from New York State. And we source all of our uh, corn, which makes up 75 to 80% of all of our products, right up the road from us about five miles. Okay, well, so yeah, you're, it's like the kind of fa- uh, farm to glass beverage. Exactly, yep. Awesome, cool. Um, I know that you uh, also served in the U.S. Marine Corps, so I want to thank you for your service, Matt. Um, any uh, any special discounts for your fellow uh, service members? I'll put you on the spot here. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, any veteran uh, is welcome to 10% off. Just bring in some sort of uh, ID or DD-214, and uh, we'll make sure you get a discount. That's awesome. Well, Matt, thanks so much for taking a little bit of time out of your day to to give us some backstory. Uh, if folks are not going to be up in the Corning area super soon, where else should they look for your stuff? Uh, right now we are locally serving within about a 50-mile radius of us. We're up towards Bath, Minton, 
uh, Ithaca, New York as well. And uh, they can find us online at fortbysicilian.com or Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Awesome. Well, definitely excited to head your way to check out, uh, you know, exactly what, like the, the number four level moonshine, where that's going to get us. I, I think it sounds like it's uh, a sure surefire bet for a fun night. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much, Matt. It's been great chatting with you. All right. Thank you. Awesome, folks. So once again, that is fourfightsdistilling.com. Um, check them out up in Corning, New York. If you want to learn more, if you want to put your own kind of uh, boozy or non-boozy tour together, uh, visit our friends over at escapemaker.com. They will help you out. It's what they do. They're very nice. Um, you have made it. It's done. It's over. This is the end of the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, if you like what you hear, definitely helps us out a ton. If you leave us a review on iTunes, um, really helps other people find the show, helps us know what you want to hear more of, what you want to hear less of. You can find me on um, uh, Instagram or Twitter. I'm Aaron underscore Fairbanks. We are a 501c nonprofit, so if you believe in our work, please make a donation. Become a member. You can do that by visiting www.heritageradionetwork.org. Click on that beating heart and toss us a couple bucks. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned in. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Oh.